there's a, an ancient story of a warrior who wins a reward from an emperor. And the emperor offers him either a bag of a thousand gold coins or on a chessboard, one coin on the first square, two coins on the second square, four coins on the next square, each square doubling every time till all the 64 squares are filled. Now, any self-respecting maths geek knows where this story is going. The one-off reward of a thousand gold coins looks pretty good initially. But the chessboard method offers a different result because it grows exponentially. The multiplying reward is initially less, but it quickly becomes more. Now, you've had enough time. You've probably done the sum in your head of the total number of coins. The sum, of course, is 2 to the power 64 minus 1. Quick sum in your head, and the answer is 18 million, 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 and change gold coins. That is a true story. That is a lot of coin. As G2 today multiplies from one service to two, and we get caught up in the celebrations and the challenges of logistically having two meetings, not just one. I want us to resist the temptation of being satisfied with the one-off win. Hooray! Two services, well done. Dan played really well. Pat yourself on the back. Have a bag of gold coin, G2. You've done really well. But God has more for us. And this month in our series, Multiply, we want to unpack what the more might look like. We're going to look at, oh, sorry, serving, inviting, giving, and today, vision. And it's a bit like that verse in Isaiah that you read on the Christmas cards, which says, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's what God's world looks like. It's an increasing, growing, never-ending kingdom of God. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, the passage that we had read to us, he wanted to impart to them a vision for themselves. He wanted to help them understand their identity. We heard in that passage the epic prayer that he prays, how big and wide, how long and how deep. This is his prayer, and through his prayer he wants them to understand something of God. In verse 4, before the section that was read, he says, um, my intention is to impart to you something of the insight of the mystery of Christ. He's not just praying for them. He wants them to understand their very identity as it's rooted in Jesus Christ. He wants them to know that when you come together as a church and gather, it's more than just a few songs and a helpful talk and a nice prayer and a brownie and then you're done. 
He wants them to grasp the epic, cosmic importance of what it means to be caught up in God's ever-expanding kingdom. Verse 10 says this, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities and heavenly realms. So God has a, a mission and a message that he wants to impart through his church. Let me remind you of uh, verse 20 that was just read to us. It says this, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. Eugene Peterson in the message translation puts it like this. He says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us through his spirit deeply and gently within us. And I think we need to discover in our day more of this immeasurably more of God. And it's not a simple thing. It's not a quick prayer and then you've got it. It's not a come to the front at the end of the meeting and collect your immeasurably more. There you go. Well done. It's not something you can sign up to on the website. You can't write to the council and complain that I was only given more, not immeasurably more. You can't go on a course to improve your more. You can't borrow it or buy it or steal it or blag it or fake it. The person sitting next to you can't give it to you. It's not on a television program that you can watch and take notes from. It's not available as a video on YouTube. It's not downloadable in, from Amazon as an easy three-step guide. It's not hidden under a scratch card for you to find. It's not available by mail order. It's not on offer with a discount. It doesn't belong to a church or a celebrity or a rich man or a poor man or a beggar or a thief because the immeasurably more is God's own heart for the church. Now, if you've read any of the stories of Jesus, you will have read some of the parables and something of this is captured in the kingdom parables of Jesus. There are six. There's the parable of the hidden treasure, the man who finds a treasure in a field. So he goes away, sells everything he owns so he can buy the field so he can own the treasure. Another one similar, the pearl of great price. A merchant, a collector of pearls, one day finds the pearl that surpasses all others. So he sells all the pearls that he has in order that he might own the one greatest pearl. And this reminds us that um, this, is, this thing, this immeasurably more of God, is something that we need to have our hearts captivated for. We need to be ruined for loving Jesus and what he's doing. We need to want it and really desire it with our hearts. The parable of the seed growing secretly in Mark chapter 4 is talking about gardening and the gardener plants the seed. He's faithful. He waters it. He's faithful. But he doesn't know how God makes it grow. God knows how things can be made to grow. 
Or the parable of the mustard seed, the tiniest seed that's like a fleck in your hand, but when planted can grow to be nine foot tall and, and overtake the whole of the garden. And so even the smallest seed, even the tiniest amount can grow into this immeasurably more kingdom of God. Or the parable of the yeast, a tiny amount of yeast can be nurtured and it grows and multiplies. Only a small amount of yeast is needed to be spread through the whole loaf and it makes it rise. And so this immeasurably more, this kingdom of God, this multiplying work of Jesus can start small and tiny, but it can grow to fill the whole world. And this is because the size of our vision, the vision that what God wants us to have as his church, the size of our vision is determined by the size of God, not by our talents, not by how good or not good we are, but by the immeasurable enormity of God. Now, I want to suggest four things. There are more, I'm sure. Four things that might draw us into this idea of the immeasurably more of God, this multiplying work of Jesus, when the vision of our church is determined by the size of God. And the first is dynamic prayer. And we already heard about it, the week of prayer and some of the stories. Then there are other stories. We had some at the 345. And when we do something like run a service or a hub or a meeting or whatever it might be, we can apply all sorts of skills, all sorts of talents that we have into the activity. But when we pray, we are being distinctive as followers of Jesus. Because when we pray, first of all, we're praying, saying, God, I'm praying, believing that you are a living God. But also when we pray, we're saying, God, you can, all these talents, all these skills that we've got, we actually offer it to you because we're not trying to do something that we are skilled enough to do. We want to be caught up in something that's actually got a vision from you, that's so big that only you could have done it. In verse 14, in the reading we had, it was put like this, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and I pray. Tim Keller says this, Prayer is the way to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well, that our bad things can turn out for our good, our good things cannot be taken from us, and the best things are yet to come. And so if we want to do more as a church, then we need to work out how we can pray more. We need to pray because we're saying when we pray, God, this is your vision, not ours. The second thing is, I think we need to learn more about discovering the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit, the dynamic working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because a church has to be more than just a club of nice people. And if you just hang around our niceness, somehow your whole life will be transformed. It has to be more than that. It has to be about a living God who's alive, changing people's lives. I've been trying to learn this myself over the last uh, few months, and let me just tell you two quick stories. 
The first is my friend Nathan, and Nathan lives in Ohio in America. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, um, I was at an event, and they were selling the four steps wristband. Have you seen them? They're on the screen there. Uh, and uh, it's four, the idea is you wear the wristband, and then somebody sees it and goes, hey, friend, that's an, a really interesting wristband. Pray, tell me what it means. And you say, thank you so much for asking me. Um, you start with the heart. God loves you, cross, but you, you've let God down. Uh, the, other, the cross of Jesus. Jesus died for you. And then the last one's a question mark. What are you going to do about it? Okay, and if you give them to the youth group, that's the one they're like, what are you going to do about it? Um, so um, it was a bit weird. I was at an event, strangely thinking of Nathan, saw the wristband, had the right amount in my pocket, so I bought him this wristband, posted it to Ohio, and I wrote him a little note that said, hey, Nathan, saw this and thought of you. Just over a week later, he sent me that picture to show that he'd received it and he was wearing it on Sunday to church. Another week later, he sent me this picture. That's Tim. And he told me the story. He wore the four steps thing at church, and in the evening, he met a guy, Tim, who went to church for the first time, who asked him, tell me about the, <laughs> the, those four fascinating symbols on that wristband of yours. Um, and uh, my friend Nathan talked to him about Jesus, shared the gospel with him, and Tim became a Christian. And then he did what, of course, everyone does when they authentically come to faith. The next day, he went and got a tattoo on his arm just to seal the deal, that he's like, I'm really, really a Christian. And then on the next Sunday, which was last Sunday, Tim got baptized as part of a new, being a new believer in Jesus. Okay, I'll give you another one. Um, come on. Uh, a few, two months ago, I had a dream. In the dream, I spoke to two uh, people in G2, and so in the dream, I watched myself have a conversation with the first person, and then I had a conversation with the second person. Both conversations were about church and what we thought church was about. And then in the dream, I preached a sermon based on the two conversations that I'd had. And when I woke up the next morning, I remembered the dream, because we, we all have dreams all the time, but I remembered my dream really clearly. And when I got to the office, I wrote notes on the sermon and then I'm going to preach that sermon on the first Sunday in January. It's a little bit weird. I'm sure you've got a better Holy Spirit story than that. But the point I'm trying to make, perhaps not very well through my own illustrations, is that we need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you're far more open <laughs> than I am. Number three, how can we be open to this immeasurably more of God? I think we need to be more serious about discipleship. And the church in the Western world isn't very good at doing discipleship. We're really good at running courses. We're not bad at running Sunday meetings and services. But discipleship, that transformation where we become someone who's following in the footsteps of Jesus, almost always really takes place in a smaller gathering, in a small group or in a one-to-one. -one. And John Wesley, the Anglican priest who founded the Methodist Church, was the genius of this. He wrote this in his journal. 
I am more and more convinced that the devil himself desires nothing more than this, that the people of any place should be half awakened and then left to themselves to fall asleep again. Wesley understood discipleship. He understood what it took to take someone who had begun to wake up to who God was and to follow through so they could become a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And Wesley actually revolutionized the whole understanding of leadership in the church. He organized those that called themselves Methodist in uh, bands, German for groups, they, were in, they met in uh, bands, and he gave them a method. He, get, he told them, here are the steps, here's what you should do when you meet up, hence the name Methodist. And Wesley, in probably only a decade, created uh, um, 100,000 ministers who had been raised up through intentional discipleship in his small groups. It was estimated that better in one in ten of the Methodist church, just people who went to Methodist churches, were actually leaders, preachers, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and ministers. Another example, St. Patrick, uh, who was the 8th century missionary, uh, kidnapped as a teenager by Irish pirates. A a typical story, I know. (laughs) Uh, Imprisoned for six years in Ireland. Um, He escaped because um, in a dream, God spoke to him and said, get up and run now. A boat is waiting for you. So he ran and a boat was waiting. It took him back um, to England. And he decided to give his life uh, to become uh, like a, a minister. Um, he was rejected many times, and it wasn't until he's 40 that he was actually accepted as a missionary priest, and he went back to Ireland, to the place of his captivity, to evangelize. Patrick's famous for his prayer and for mobilizing um, teams of people, and also for, taking, for doing mission and then planting churches afterward. Uh, In his lifetime, he probably planted 700 churches, it's estimated, across Ireland. And and Patrick had his own method of of serious discipleship. He had four steps. Here's what they were. Firstly, he said, everyone should have a period of voluntary silence in a remote, natural setting where you can be on your own with God. So get out there, find a tree, stop talking, and discover Jesus. (laughs) Do that regularly, step one. Step two, you should have a soul friend who is an accountability peer to whom you confess your sins, receive support, and are challenged. Have you got a soul friend? He said you should be in a small group where you can discuss the truths of God. And lastly, he said we all need a common life where we have meals, we work, we study, we pray, we recite to memorize the scripture, and we worship together with the whole Christian community. However it looks, there's lots of different ways of doing it. Any church, I think, that wants to be caught up in the immeasurably more of God needs to be serious about discipleship. And lastly, church planting. There is a need, massive need, to revitalize existing churches and to start new ones. And in the next 10 years, lots of uh, the traditional and mainstream denominations will close significant numbers of churches, easily, easily a third in the next decade. And we need to be um, ready and open to the opportunity that that represents. 
Now, um, I already said in the other service, I, I reckon my two love languages are church planting and alpha. So <laughs> if you just want to make me happy, just come and talk to me about church planting or alpha. If you, if you can hit both, then, you know, that you'll make my day. Bring church planting and alpha together. And um, I reckon, like, at least half my friends are church planters. Uh, just people who have, all right, there's a church there that's closing. Let, never mind. Let's go in. Let's start it afresh. And let's reach people for Jesus. Bring it back to life. And that's, my, that's, like, that's the norm of my life. That's the people I speak to all the time. I think that needs to be the new norm of our church, of the emerging generation. That's the opportunity that's going to be set before us. And it's already there, but it's going to become incredibly apparent over the next few years. And we need to be ready. We need to be ready, learning, raising up leaders, getting our strategies right, getting our model right, listening to God, understanding what his method is, his calling, and how that's going to happen. Because suddenly that call is going to be upon us. Now what I want you to take away from this talk is that God has more. God has more for us in his service. There is more for us in following. Let's have a vision for multiplication, not just addition. Let's have a vision for it. Let's have a vision for the immeasurably more heart of God. Let's have a vision for dynamic prayer, for ministering the Holy Spirit, for discipleship, for church planting, and, and many other good things as well. And it, it's not that it's not happening. It's already happening in our midst. You're already caught up in it, but God has more. Now, before we go down a side track and make a mistake, we need to remind ourselves of what that scripture reading told us. Ephesians 3.20, it says this, how does it happen? How does the immeasurably more happen? It's according to his power that's at work within us. Eugene Peterson puts it like this. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His Holy Spirit deeply and gently within us. So God is already at work within what we've got within what's in front of us. It's not about somehow we need to just, you know, oh, if I just click my heels and, you know, oh, I can discover the more of God. No, God's already at work in us, gently by his Holy Spirit. We can feel a little bit like Moses in Exodus chapter 4 where he's um, got to lead two million grumbling Israelites and he's complaining to God. And, and God says to him, Moses, what have you already got in your hand? And literally for Moses, it was the staff that God had given him and he had to throw it on the ground and it became a snake and then later he used it. But I guess like the same question applies to all of us. God will say to us, it's not about what you haven't got. God's just saying, what have you already got? What, what have you already got? Like work with that. I'm at work within you by my Holy Spirit. We need to just give our heart to what God is doing. It's like the pearl. We need to get our vision on Jesus and catch sight. Wow, he's like, he's more important than anything else. So why would other trinkets capture my heart if I can see how beautiful he is? Or like the treasure, like, well, there's lots of treasures, but how about I just get the best treasure? 
I'll sell the other treasures to get the best treasure. And whatever we're doing, just do it. And do it really well. And ask for more, like the yeast. A tiny, tiny amount can grow rapidly and become a big thing. And we need to press on in our own following of Jesus, our own discipleship. And we need to share it with others and catch others up into the the program and the activity. That's multiplication. Now let's step back and look at the big picture. Any examination of the history of the church reveals that the church has had a crisis about every 500 years. The first was at the Council of Chalcedon. You see, this talk is educational as well as encouraging. (laughs) And the struggle to eradicate um, Arianism from the church. And that was the belief that God made Jesus. It was a low view of Jesus. So the church fought for that in its councils, and the result was they, held, they, they accepted a high view of Jesus. And the consequence of that was that the church grew rapidly. The truth caused mission to work and churches to be planted. 500 years later, in 1054, there was the great schism where the East and the West broke into the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, and it was a dispute over small elements of theology. But what it, what it produced was rapid growth because they both went away and did evangelism and the church grew. And the third happened 500 years later again in 1517 when Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg and he started the Protestant Reformation. And it launched new strands of Christianity and uh, of, of Christian churches and hundreds of thousands of people came to faith and churches were planted. For example, in 1555, John Calvin had planted five churches. Four years later, he'd planted a hundred churches. Ten years later, he'd planted more than 2,000 churches. Such was the consequence of people giving their hearts to Jesus. And of course, Calvin didn't plant those churches. He just released a generation to do it. He wouldn't have even known who all those churches were. And now we are exactly 500 years on from the European Reformation. And there are prophets of doom that say the numbers are going to go like that. And in part, that's true. But there's another element to the God story that we need to get a hold of. See, God loves his church. And a new day and a new opportunity is in front of us. And it's different from what's gone before. It's going to be new and fresh. It's about the same timeless truths. It's about Jesus and it's about his church. And a new generation that will reach out. And we need to be ready for it. It's already here and yet in a few years it will be upon us. We're beginning to see it, but it's going to come even more. And the call of this message is that we give ourselves to it. Perhaps as I pray, you could stand. And I want to pray the prayer of Habakkuk, who in his time longed for a reviving and a renewing of the work of God amongst God's people. Let me pray this prayer. God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you. And I am stopped in my tracks 
and down on my knees. Do amongst us what you did amongst them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, Lord, remember mercy. Because you are on your way again, retracing the old salvation message. Amen.